I want to take a few moments and go back and talk to you and do a little illustration with you. And at the end of the service, I have a little gift, a little something for a memorabilia for you to help you uh, remember this moment forever, if you desire. And I want to talk to you for a moment about the God of a little bit. And I just touched on it last week, and I want to hit it once again. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. <clears throat> we know at the beginning of that chapter is where Jesus uh, went on what's called the Mount of Transfiguration upon the Great Mountain. And there, John the Baptist and uh, Elijah came forth. Moses and Elijah, I mean, came forth. And Jesus was there, and Peter, John, and his brother James were there and witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus and all those together, and they were astonished. It amazes me that Peter could ever doubt after that. So that shows you how easy it is to doubt. That shows you how easy it is to allow unbelief to come in. But he actually saw Jesus transfigure as God in front of his eyes. He saw Elijah and Moses come alive in his presence and then leave and still doubted. So don't beat yourself up so much for doubting. That's focusing on the mountain. That's focusing on the problem. That's focusing on the situation. But put it behind you. Put it under your feet and begin to focus on what's true, what's right, what's lovely, what's righteous, and what's pure, what's pleasant. That always begins with faith. Because without faith, I cannot have God's perspective. We know in here, Hebrews 11.1 1 is what? Now faith is what? The substance of things hoped for, <clears throat> the very evidence of things not seen. When we're not living by faith, that's when we're living by what's seen. Mm. When we're not living by faith, that means we're living by what's seen. And we think that's all there is. Or maybe there could be a little more or maybe a little less. But faith is not living by what's seen. Faith is living by what's unseen. Faith is living by what's unseen. The Bible says it's our title guarantee. It's like concrete. It's the foundation. Faith is the vehicle of God. It's the transporter from the unseen realm to the seen. That's why Jesus said, this is the way you pray. Hallowed be thy name, what thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And his will is that we walk in and live out the gospel so that he can be seen through our lives, through our actions, and through our beliefs. Whatever I focus on, sooner or later, I will evaluate why I accept it as my belief system or not. And right now, many times when I hear people angriest and shout the loudest, it's like the little child shouting, it's really we do that, why? Because of uncertainty. We do that because we can't control something. We do that out of fear. I see it on all sides with race. I see it with church people within churches shouting, why are we doing this? Or why are we not doing that? Why should we do more? Why should we do less? I see it with our government. I see it with politicians. I see it with the neighbors. I, I see it in the news media. But here's the thing, guys. You have to determine what you're going to see. You have to determine, and you don't look for your answer through man. We look to, for the answer through our eyes of faith. And our eyes of faith bring us to the heart of the Father. And the heart of the Father is what leads us. So here, Jesus comes off the mountain of transfiguration. I'm sure Peter, John, and his brother James are like still their eyes are big as saucers. It's, you don't know what a saucer is if you're not old. That's what goes under a coffee cup that nobody else uses anymore. You know, not just flying saucers, but the saucer, right? Their eyes are as big as saucers, as small plates, I bet, coming out, you know, bug eyes coming out. Going, what just happened? Did that just happen? Was he that? Was that Moses? Was that Elijah? My, wow. Remember, they wanted to build a church there. They're like, heck, we don't need to do anything else. This is everybody come here after this. See, it's easy to build a residence where there's transfiguration. It's easy to build a place of comfort, being comfortable whenever you've had a major transfiguration in your life. 
when God's done a great work in you, when there's been a great transfer of his wisdom, his knowledge, his faith, his hope, his love, his healing. And it's easy for us to get comfortable and then forget really what's going on around us. So I want to challenge you today that it's time to look beyond your mountain. It's time to look beyond your trial. It's time to look beyond what you fear or worry about or are concerned about. And it's time to look with the eyes of faith. So here we go. Let's read this. Now, as they had just came off the mountain of transfiguration, get, get the, this whole mountain, huge mountain behind Jesus, Peter, James, and John, as they come down and he gets ready to minister to this young lad, he begins to minister in front of this mountain with his other disciples and others looking at them. And what had happened, it says in verse 14, and when they had come to the multitude, so they came from the mountain. They're at the foot of the mountain. The multitude's right there because they were meeting, waiting for Jesus to come back off the mountain of prayer. Kneeling down to him saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. So here a man comes. His son was not healed. Have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire, often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Remember, he commissioned his disciples to go out and cast out demons and heal the sick and set the captives free. And they had been very successful except for this one lad. Verse 17, then Jesus answered and said, O faithless, faithless, and perverse generation. You know, there's times you can hide from it. There's times you can say, I'm not part of this world, I'm a Christian. I'm a spirit-filled Christian. I'm a Holy Ghost, faith-believing Christian. I'm a tongue-talking, tithing, walking, giving Christian. I'm a good, loving, serving Christian. I'm whatever you want to be. But I'm not part of this generation. It's kind of like that one kid that was a good kid in the family, and the other six always got in trouble, and it's always them, never me. It's time that the church gets a vision that we are part of this generation. It's time that we get a vision that we are responsible for our neighbor. We are responsible for those around us. And we have to understand how do we combat? How do we fight? How do we improve? How do we restore? So if our nation is faithless and you're part of the nation, that means you're operating and helping your nation be faithless. If your nation is fearful, it's the same. If it's perverse, it's the same. We have our individual relationship with God, and we will stand in front of God individually, but we will also stand in front of him based on our works. He didn't bring you to this nation or born you in this nation without calling you to build a nation that can reach the nations of the world. A nation that's built up of many nations coming together under one God and under the word, as imperfect as people are. I'm sorry you're perfect, but everybody else is not, just so you know. Verse 17, and when he said that about old perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? In other words, he's saying, how long are you going to depend on me for everything? When are you going to stand on your own faith? When are you going to stand on your own revelation? When are you going to stand on your own guts for a change? When are you going to woman up? When are you going to man up? When are you going to get over yourself? Get over yours. Get over what you have or you want or you desire. When are you going to realize it's not about you, it's about God, and it's about your neighbor? I mean, that's the greatest commands, right? Jesus said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your energy. And he said the second command is like it, love your neighbor as your, your neighbor is your generation. <clears throat> Love your generation as yourself. So your isolation, and I'm not being critical to people that feel isolated now. I've battled isolation. 
We all, I think, battle isolation. So I'm not being critical of any individual people. Believe me, I battle with it like you battle with it. But you know me, I talk about what I battle with and what I think I win every now and then, but I talk about when I think I lose. And sometimes I lose that battle of isolation of feeling like I'm just going to pull myself back and hope this nation makes it or this world makes it. That's their, 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 their prerogative. I'm done with it. I'm just going to live by faith and serve my people that I know and serve my family. See, it's easy to want to isolate because in isolation, I can judge. In isolation, I don't have relationship and contact. I can set back and listen and watch and form an opinion. Really, all judgment is is an opinion you formed. All judgment is is a belief you've accepted for yourself. And so remember, anytime we isolate from a problem, a situation, or good stuff, or bad stuff, or happy stuff, or ugly stuff, then what are we doing? We are saying, I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to hear you. I'm going to just get through. Well, are you going to get through, or are you just going to be stuck? There's lots of times I just preferred to be stuck. There's lots of many times in my life, as many of you that's lived more than 10 years know, there's many times that you just thought, this is it, I'll never be more, I'll never do more. Or maybe you were in a place that I don't want to ever do more. I like this. This is good. But what if you had never had pressure kick you out of the nest? What if you'd never had pressure provoke you? What if you'd never had trials to challenge you, to grow you? Because you grow. You get stronger through trials. You get stronger through pressure. You, you're strengthened and empowered by problems. We know that in the business world, you make more money the more problems you solve. And the more valuable problems in the world you solve, the more money you make and the greater your business is. But you know, that's the same in your personal life. You grow in knowledge and favor and understanding with God and with people through the problems you can solve. As you understand problems and you can reduce them and make them simple and help lead others through them, you become a greater influencer. So if I isolate myself, can I grow? If I'm not growing, what am I doing? And again, I am not putting anyone down that I've had conversations with because I've had conversations with lots of people in our church. I've had conversations with me where sometimes, Miss Patsy, I'm just like, I told Stephanie, I'm not going out. I'm just staying here. I don't want to go to church. You think I want to go to come to church and look at people? I don't know if they're smiling or cursing me. You got the mask on. I mean, it, it, you think it's not a challenge for me to come in here and put a mask on and walk and sit on the front row? Me, your pastor, who really doesn't like to conform much anyway? You think this is easy for me to look at a third of our people and preach? And I know it's not easy for you. you got to keep the stupid mask on. You're trying not to breathe your own saliva and snot and everything else. This is when you wish you weren't over five, right? But we're here. That says something about us, doesn't it? I said, we're here. And those that are watching today, you're here. You're here with us. You're watching. So what are we going to do with this? We're not going to judge one another. I'm not here to judge you if I think you're isolating or not, or if I think you're brave or not. Because I get people judge me all the time. Well, why don't pastor do this? He should do that. He should say that. I, I get that. But see, the little secret is I don't answer to you. I answer to him. And when I take my last breath, that's the only one I got to please right there. Now, his goal is for me to please everybody I can please. But how many of you know everybody's not pleased with God? So if God can't please anybody, everybody, how am I going to please everybody? If I can't please everybody, how are you going to please everybody? So we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, okay, God, how do we navigate this? First of all, we navigate it by not judging each other or anyone else. We navigate it by judging ourselves, by where are we at in the light of God and God's love and God's word and God's faith? So we see this, Jesus is talking about that, and he says, oh, you faithless generations, how long shall I bear with you? He said, in other words, you got to stand on your own. Bring him here to me, said the boy, right? And Jesus rebuked the demon, it came out of him, and a child was cured from that very hour. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Man, it's a good time to come to God with love and respect and ask questions. 
I love it when I've had some people, you know, text or call me. I love it when they do that, that I can share my heart. Doesn't mean we agree, but we love one another. And we stand together and we agree to disagree or we agree to agree or I learn something or they learn something. I love it when, when you're like that with me or when you're like that with leadership or when you're like that with God. I know God loves it when you just say, Lord, I don't know. Help this dude out here. I need your help. Do you think you're closer to God when you're dependent on him or when you got it figured out? Maybe in the toughest time of your life, you're closer to God than you ever were before. Maybe. Then the disciples came to him right? right? Then verse 20. So Jesus said to them, they said, well, why can we not cast the demon out? Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. I love what Prophet Trout, he said it about 10 or 12 years ago here, first time he's here. He said, having more faith is not necessarily having more faith. Having more faith is having less unbelief. The more unbelief you get rid of, the greater level of faith you walk in. And you're going to see why here in a moment. He said, because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as the mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible to you. Now, I talked to you last week about a mustard seed. It's really so small, sitting there, I couldn't hold it in my hand like I told you last week. A mustard seed is so small, if I took it out of this little jar and put it in my hand, it would get lost in the crevices. I couldn't pick it up again. I'd have to get tweezers and something else to try to pick it up and even put it back in here. A mustard seed is so small. And Jesus said, look, faith is not a problem. If you have just a little bit of faith, you can do anything. Everybody say just a little bit. God can take a little and do much. Why? Actually, unlimited things. But see, the problem we have, and especially in times like this where it's instant news and it's always wrong, whether it's social media or networks, whatever, everybody seems to have an agenda. You get a little bit of a truth, a little bit of this and that, and you really have to use your discernment, right? But what I want you to realize, guys, you need the good news. You, you, you need to saturate. Are you putting as much time in the Word and in listening to faith-filled podcasts and teaching as you are watching or listening to the news or your neighbor or opinions of people? You see, what Jesus is saying here, he just came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He's standing in front of this massive mountain. Just say this screen is a mini top of it. He's standing in front of this massive mountain teaching them, and Jesus begins to give them an illustrated sermon. And he said, the reason you couldn't cast out this demon was because of unbelief. That means I'm not committed to, I'm not convinced in, I don't trust enough. I don't really believe enough. I have enough unbelief to bring doubt. Now, he said that again in Mark's gospel, didn't he? After he cursed the fig tree, 24 hours later, they come back by, and the disciple says, Master, how'd you do that? It was healthy. You cursed it. It's dead. And he said, again, oh, you have a little faith. He said, if you will not doubt in your heart, you can speak to that mountain. Listen now, a literal mountain like that, and cast it. Didn't say just move it. Cast it. Now, they were a little way from the sea. Cast it into the sea if you would not doubt. The word doubt there in that translation is diconia in the Greek. It means to separate from oneself. So doubt and unbelief are twin sisters or twin brothers or whatever. They're twins. Doubt and unbelief work together. You first start to doubt, then you walk in unbelief. Doubt means separation from my cardia or my heart. My heart represents my physical heart, but it also represents my soul, the seat of my decision-making power, my mindset. And then also, the only thing that can separate, listen, it's the only thing that can separate your marrow, your blood and your bone, or even your soul and your spirit, it says in Hebrews 12, is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. The word of God is the only thing that can separate the, the bone and the marrow, or the soul and the spirit. So it's very important that you have the right mindset because that will determine whether you believe or not. And you can't walk in faith in unbelief. 
You can only walk in faith when you believe. That's why the man said, Father, help my unbelief, right? And he did. So maybe our prayer is not, I'm going to move a mountain, help my unbelief so I can have the, faith, the little faith to move it. You don't have to get the little faith. You already have it or you wouldn't be born again. You're saved by faith through grace, right? So we're saved by grace through faith, I mean. That little bit of faith is all it takes. Even before you were saved, you had enough faith to get eternal life if you just accepted and believed in Jesus. If you didn't believe, you couldn't get it, right? You couldn't activate it, but it's there. Every atheist has it. They just don't activate it because of their mindset. And then, so it says, if you don't doubt or separate from who you are, diconia, separate from who you are. So now when you're a Christian, you are born again. You are a spirit, right? And that spirit has come alive, John 3 says, in him. And we're alive in him. And we are a spirit who has a soul, a heart, mind, will, and emotions, and lives in a body. So the key, guys, is anytime something impedes your heart, anytime something impedes you to believe less in God's truth, run from it. Shut it off. Remember, where your focus goes, your energy flows, right? Our emotions is energy, right? Up emotions, down emotions, average emotions. It's, it's our energy. So Jesus is standing in front of this mountain, isn't he? And he said, the problem, the reason you couldn't get that is because of what? Your unbelief. Then what he's saying? It only takes a little bit of faith. Faith like a mustard seed. I can barely see it in there looking at it this closely. That little bit of faith, that little mustard seed faith. He said you can speak, epo, Greek, declare, command. You can declare or command a physical mountain to be moved from here to where you commanded. With what? So what he's saying is, your faith does not have to be equal to your problem. We want to build our faith, but we don't focus on removing our unbelief. I already have more than enough faith with a little mustard seed faith to physically root up a mountain and move it to where I tell it to go. That mountain can be physical or figuratively. It doesn't matter, figurative or physical. You have the power living in you as a child of God to declare, to proclaim, and to make it come to pass. But the key is what do you see? You see, that mountain represents your insecurity where you feel inferior, where you feel weak. That mountain represents your giant, what seems bigger than you, what seems greater than you. It represents your problem. It represents your circumstance. And, and, and what happens whenever you begin to view an, uh, something up close, it gets bigger. And if I just took my hand and put it out here, it's not that big. I can see around it. I can look at it. It obstructs my view a little bit, but I can see a lot. But the closer I bring my hand to my eyes, what happens? To eventually, just the size of my hand can shut all my vision down. You, you can have a problem that's just out there, but you start focusing on it. What's focused to it makes it clear. What's clear, it makes it appear closer, closer, clearer. And you can take a little thing to spoil the whole vine. You can take a little problem. What did your mama used to say? You could take a, a mole and uh, make a, a mountain out of a molehill, like a little molehill. You can make a mountain out of it. Satan wants you to focus on your mountain. Satan wants you to focus on the fact you can't have certainty. Satan wants you to focus on the fact that you don't have the answer, your preacher don't have the answer, no one has the answer but God. 
Satan wants you to focus on the situation to where you are so focused on the mountain, you're so fearful and full of unbelief, you cannot make a declaration to remove the mountain. And you look at that mountain and say, I don't know if I can ever climb that mountain. I don't know if I have the skill. I don't know if I have the energy. If I did, I don't know if I'd get lost and make it. And by the way, if I did climb that mountain, or if I traveled miles and miles to get around the mountain, what's on the other side? I might think something's over there, but it really could be my enemy at a greater force. It could be a greater mountain. It could be a greater problem. It could be a bigger trial. It, it, it could not just be a little sickness. It could be terminal illness. So whenever we think about this, guys, and we want to get to operate in mountain-moving faith, to move into the presence and the power of God, to move into this situation, we can think in our own heart, it doesn't seem like prayer is doing a lot. Look at our nation. It doesn't seem like fasting is doing a lot. A lot of us are praying, been fasting, been praying, and, and I know, but isn't that what the mountain wants you to think? The mountain robs you of your vision. If all I see is my problem in front of me, the offense or the offender, the abuse or the abuser, the lie or the liar, or a reality that I must overcome, whatever that is I must overcome, if that's all I see, then I'm going to believe more in the mountain than I am in the mustard seed. Isn't it amazing that God takes a little bit to crush a lot? Isn't it amazing that when I put this little mustard seed up toward that mountain, man, that doesn't seem like much. That doesn't measure up. I can put that mustard seed up to my eye and I can still see around it and over it. But boy, that mountain I can't. And so, it's, guys, it's up to you and me. It's up to us to determine to have a little bit of faith, to have the faith as a mustard seed, and to take that faith anytime unbelief is, comes up in our mind or our heart, turn our attention back to the mustard seed. Turn our attention back to that little bit. Turn our attention back to God. So what's God saying? He's saying, what's Jesus saying when he says, I want you to realize the power of a little bit. I want you to realize that, that you don't have to get yourself all sacked up proportionally to meet the problem head on. You already are the answer. You don't have it. You are the answer. You are his faith in the earth. You are his anointing in the earth. You are his power and authority in the earth. He, the Holy Spirit, they all flow through you and I, the body. So, so what's he saying? He's saying his promise his favor, his promise is not proportional. He, 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 you, you don't live a blessed life. You know, you live a certain level of blessed life. Someone else lives a certain level. They got a little more blessed life and someone else got a little more. No, no, no. God doesn't do things in proportion. He does things all in and forever. So his blessing and his promises don't come on your life because of how good you are or aren't. If you do all the right stuff or you don't. Now, you could wipe them out by doing the wrong stuff and sinning and living stupid and you wipe out. He didn't change his promise. You just rejected him. So his promise is not proportion. His promise is bigger than this world. His promise is bigger than your mountain. His promise creates mountains. His promise moves mountains. His promise tears down mountains. His promise is not proportional to our government's perspective, our generation's perspective, people's perspective, church and religion's perspective. Jesus said religion is a thief of my power. And he said religion is what? Unbelief. What is religion? There's good religion and bad religion, but religion is, is when I have more faith in the method or the religion than I do the master. That means I don't want to do anything new. 
That means I don't want to change. I want it to be the way it was. The way it was for mom and grandma and grandpa. The way it should be. The good old days. Never heard Jesus talk about the good old days. Everybody say just a little bit. Here's what I love. The promise of God is not proportional. Proportional. And God is not limited by what I see. God is not limited by what you see. No matter how great your fear, no matter how big the problem, no matter how great and massive the mountain, God is not limited by what you see. Because God doesn't perceive it the same way we perceive it. To him, it's not a speck on the end of a pen. To us, it's a mountain. To him, it's nothing at all. It's just something to make you better. It's something to make you stronger. It's something to make you greater. It's something to make you more impactful. Not something to cause you to doubt and be in anger and fear and hide whatever we're going through at the time, right? Jesus said what? The mountain is what you see, but the good news is he's not limited by what you see. Jesus is not limited with COVID-19. Jesus is not limited with race relations. Jesus is not limited with our authorities, our police, our government, or anyone else. He's not limited with Russia, China, or the U.S., or Iran, or Israel. He's still God, and we ain't. He is. He is a God of no limits. So instead of you and I worrying about a mountain, why don't we focus on the mountain-moving God with no limits and get his perspective on a matter. Why is that, preacher? Be careful because a mountain will take your voice. Be careful or the mountain will take your voice. Not only will the mountain rob you of your vision, not only will the mountain steal your dreams, but the mountain will take your voice. So you can walk around and curse that mountain and talk about it and be disgruntled with it and stay away from it and come up and yell at it. But if you don't speak to it with a little bit of faith and no unbelief, it's not moving. You can wait for somebody else to release their faith and maybe they'll move it, but what did you learn? Be careful the mountain will take. How does it take your voice? Your voice represents what? Your declaration. What you declare, your petition. You have the authority of God living inside you. You have the voice of the Holy Spirit living inside you. And when you make a declaration, it should be a declaration of belief and faith. It should be a declaration that God can move something. Whether that is a mountain you're facing of terminal illness, fear, poverty, bankruptcy, divorce, abandonment, addiction. Whatever that mountain is, it is not moving with your unbelief. It's time to pray, God, help my unbelief to believe. It's time to say, God, help me access my little bit that does much. Time to say, God, give me your perspective. It's time to get your voice back. Your voice is not a voice of fear. Your voice is not a voice of doubt and unbelief. Your voice is not a voice of disunity, lying, hopelessness. Oh, that voice is in you. That's your old voice. But the last time I read the Word of God, said when I became a born again, what happened? I became a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away. 
all things become new. So if I want a new result, I got to release my new voice. If I want a new result, I got to speak from the voice of my born again spirit, my born again man, and I got to speak to the mountain in front of me, whatever it is, mountain of division, mountain of racism, mountain of uh, perversion, or mountain of uh, fear, mountain of divorce, whatever that mountain is, I got to come at it from my voice, from my, my, my spiritual man, and release my faith. But if I'm going around griping and complaining and moaning and groaning and finding people, and we all talking about why well, everybody's picking on us, then we're just going to stay in that same camp at the foot of the mountain while other people remove the mountain and go into the vision and dream for their life. Don't, don't allow the mountain to take your voice. I'm going to end with this. Got a lot, but I'm going to end with this. I talked about it a little bit last week. <clears throat> when I'm in this room, if I'm not looking at the cameras, let's say there's no cameras in here and I'm just preaching to you like the old days, I guess, which we've had cameras since we've been probably eight months old. But I'm pretty sure you no cameras or no screens that I can see. You know, the interesting thing is I can see Paul. I can see you guys. I can see you guys. I can see different folks, Gonzalez's and Avery and Stephanie, my lovely wife, Parker and Gabby. I can see people all the way. I can see Dave back there and all those guys. But isn't it interesting I can't see me? I can see the image of green on the floor and black around the walls. I can see the image of the clock back there that gives me a time. I can see the people walking out, security in the hallway in the foyer. I can see people moving and sitting with their arms crossed, their legs crossed. I can see all these images, but isn't it interesting? I can see all these images in the natural realm made up of molecules, because everything obviously comes from the molecules, even sound waves come from molecules. But I can see all these things made up of molecules, including humans. I can see humans, but I can't see me. I can see parts of me, pieces of me, but I can't see me. Isn't it interesting how God created you and I? That we are to only see our image through other eyes. And if you see yourself through the wrong eyes, you're going to have the wrong image of who you are. So the only eyes that I should look at is God's eyes. And the only way I should see myself is through the mirror of the Word of God and how I am and how I measure up in the Word of God and who the Word of God says I am. If I look at what the Word of God says I should do or shouldn't do, I'll never get to who I am because that's works. Faith without works is dead. It's not even faith. I have to get to who the Word says I am, that I am His beloved that I was worth him giving his own son for, that he shed his blood for me, that he loved me when I was in sin, when I was unlovely, and he loves me whether I'm lovely or unlovely, good or bad, he loves me just as I am. Then I can start looking at the other stuff. But here's the thing. If I let those that raised me be the only voices that determine who I am, I'd still be back in eastern Kentucky probably driving a coal truck if there's any left. Or even not alive, probably. I wouldn't be here preaching to you. I wouldn't be married to an amazing woman. I wouldn't have these great sons and family. I wouldn't have friends like you. I wouldn't know you. I'd be living back there in this little town of 600 people, probably 400 now, just trying to get through. But God... But God, I remember when God started to grow me and I had to go to a spirit-filled church. It was awkward, but I had to do it. I remember when God said, now you got to leave Kentucky and go to Ohio to a mega church and be retrained. It was awkward, but necessary. I remember when God said, you got to leave this big mega church and come and start over in a warehouse in Kentucky. It was awkward and scary, but awkward, and it worked out. It brought undue pressure and 
stressed. I, I look at some people and I try not to laugh when they tell me they're stressed over something. You know, well, I'm so stressed. I don't know if I can pay my electric bill. Well, when you do, figure out how to pay our $11,000 a month electric bill when you do. Well, I don't know if I can pay my house payment. Well, when you do, figure out how to pay our $28,000 a month house payment here at the church. I don't know if we're going to have enough money to, you know, keep our car. Well, when you do, tell me how to raise money and have money to pay our staff and keep our daycare open and keep. So, you know, for me, I could easily sit here and there's people who can laugh at me. But we don't laugh because pain is pain. And whatever level it is, that's the level it is. So I'm not, I'm not putting down wherever I'm at. There's areas in my life, I'm, you just look at me and go, You're, that bothers you? That's no big deal. To me, it's a big deal. Because I haven't dealt with that pressure like you have. We've all dealt with different kinds of pressure. That's why we need one another. Some pressure I've handled, you haven't handled, I can carry some of that for you. Some of the pressure you've handled, I haven't handled, you can carry for me. We're in it together. I'm not judging people if they're in church or not in church, with a mask, not with I'm not judging anybody. I love all of you all. I love everyone. I just want us to walk in the full power and presence of an almighty God that is a mountain-moving God. That's all. As we get ready to close, I want to say this. So, it's important where I get my imagery from. Because God said, Genesis 1, what we created man in our own image in our, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, likeness, have we created both them, male and female, put them in dominion of the earth, over the fish, sea, fowl, the air, and all the creepy things to go forth and pursue, to take over, to have dominion, set up a domain, a kingdom, his kingdom. So that's how God's image is of us. But the old serpent lied to Adam and Eve, right? And told Eve, if you eat of that tree of knowledge, good and evil, the only tree God said don't eat of. He didn't lock it up with chains. He just don't eat of that. Said you can be just like God. You can know good and evil. Man, that's tempting. The lie was she was already just like God because he made her in his image. The lie was she wasn't like God. The lie was she wasn't quite enough. And anytime I see somebody angry and fighting mad over anything, I see that's when we see ourselves as not enough. That's what being broken is. It's not enough to be whole. And we have to realize that when we're dealing with people and loving people, even when they're not lovely to us, that, that it's not that they're projecting on you how bad you are. They're projecting on themselves how less they are. And what we got to realize, guys, in church and in ministry and with government and everything else, we got to be the answer. And we got to feel everyone's pain and feel everyone's empathy. None of us are enough without God. None of us are. I don't have a solution for race without God. I, I, I'm going to a, a, a meeting with 20 other pastors today in Jessamine County. I'll do another one on the 23rd with Lexington. I'm doing everything I can do to help and be a part of whatever I can be. But no, none of us preachers are enough without God. None of our churches are enough without God. None of our government officials are enough without God. No nation is enough without God. No people, no group is enough without God. And until we get the revelation that it takes just a little bit of faith with no unbelief, and that means I see myself as God sees me. And I see myself as God sees my brother or sister, even if they can't see themselves that way. Wow. So if I'm going to see myself in the image of God and how he's made me, then I got to see my brother and sister, whether they like me or don't like me, agree with me or don't agree with me, the way God sees them. Because they need an image. They need a likeness to get a glimpse of who God said they are because obviously they haven't found it on their own. Well, maybe we can bank enough, do enough. Didn't David get rebuked for that? When he went out and lost the battle, first battle ever lost, didn't know what to do. He said, go back and count all of our men up, count all of our warriors up. 
went out and got slaughtered. Come back crying to God. God said, why'd you count? It was never in your number, David. It was never in your mind. It was never in your strength. It was never in your flesh. Who are you, David, but who I say you are? Who are you, Bethel, but who God says we are? Who are you, child of God, but who God says you are? But here's the key. God, what he says is greater than what you could ever say, think, or imagine about yourself. He said, David, you took what you could see around you and you measured it against the mountain. David, that's unbelief. That mean you don't measure, look, and have wisdom about certain things. There just comes a time where you just realize, I don't have what it takes. I don't have enough. I got to have faith. I don't need much. I just need a little bit. Just a little bit. It doesn't have to be the same size as the mountain. You imagine if a mustard seed faith could remove Mount Moriah, a huge mountain, to another location, or a huge mountain and cast it into the sea? I bet a grape of faith could probably blow the planet up. A, a cantaloupe of faith could probably blow the universe up. You laugh. But that's because you don't understand the potency of faith. And I'm trying to learn that. I thought I knew it, but I'm back in school again. And I'm trying to learn how potent is faith. How potent. But if I'm focusing on what's wrong, If I'm focusing on my wounds and my pain, and I'm not saying don't understand that. I'm not talking about that. Then will I ever get to the belief place? I got to get to the belief place. I got to believe better in my fellow man. I got to believe better in government officials. I got to even believe better in news media. That doesn't mean I accept truth from them. Because I don't get my image from them. But I try to show them the image that that I'm in. God. His image. So we get ready to pray. So we get ready to pray. The one scripture in Numbers... Numbers 13, remember when Caleb and Joshua went with the 12, they were two of the 12 spies that went to the promised land for Moses? Again, God didn't tell Moses to send spies. That was a vote to send spies. He didn't tell Moses to vote when to come out of Egypt, did he? He didn't tell Moses to vote where he put the rod down and open the Red Sea. He just told him what to do. And there they are, right at the river, at the promised land by the river Jordan. And then a vote comes and they decide to send 12 spies. That's where the battle was lost. And when they went over and came back, 10 spies, they were giants in the land, sons of Anak, Anak, however you want to pronounce it. They're massive. We're, we're, we're the sight of ants in their eyes. And Caleb and Joshua, we can do this. We can take them. God's on our side. They had the right image of who they were in God, but the other 10 judges didn't. And Moses went with the majority vote with the 10 that had the wrong image. We learned two things from that. You can lose by having a faulty image of yourself and see yourself as an ant. You can lose seeing yourself as small, and your mountain as a giant. So in other words, you can have a faulty image of yourself that you have from people and events in your life. Remember I talked to you about the etchy sketch last week. You've been sketched out. This is, who, this, this is the image. They're giants. The mountain's bigger than me, greater than me. That's one aspect. 
And the second thing that can happen is once you get that aspect and see yourself smaller than a giant, the giant's going to see you like a little ant, and he's going to squash you. Don't fear the giant. Fear unbelief. Don't fear the devil. He's under your feet. Fear unbelief. Don't fear death. You have eternal life. To die is to gain. Fear unbelief. Don't fear will we ever get to have church the way we used to. I pray we don't. I want something new and greater than we've ever had. Don't pray, well, God, will I get the same job I had before? I'm praying you get your own business. You have people working for you. Will our medical profession ever be the same? I'm praying it becomes a healing profession. Don't fear your mountain. If you fear anything, fear unbelief. Begin to get the right image of yourself and believe what God said about you and let every other person be a liar. Stand up with me now where you're at home, in your car, pull over on the side of the road. You need to stand up. Keep your phone loud. And on the count of three, I want you to shout to your mountain move. On the count of three, I believe your faith is raising up in you right now, whatever your mountain is. Whatever the fear is, the phobia, whatever it is, whatever, it can be a reality. I'm not saying that disease is not a reality. Whatever it is, on the count of three, we're going to say mountain move. We're going to say mountain move. I want you to visualize it right now. I don't want you to see yourself as small and it's a giant, and I don't want you to allow the giant to make you look like an ant. I want you to see yourself in the image of God that Satan is under your feet. If the head of the kingdom of hell is under your feet, that means all the imps from hell and their devices are under your feet. And the only way that it can impact you is if you let it up here in your ears or your eyes. That's the only way Satan can impact you. Are you ready right now to move a mountain? I want you to shout with everything in you, mountain move and don't let up. One, two, three. Oh, come on. One, two, three. One, two, three. On the count of three, say now. One, two, three. Now. Come on. Now. 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 Raise your hands to heaven. Father, right now, everyone under the sound of my voice, I don't care what day, what week, what month, what year it is, everyone under the sound of my voice, I command the gift of faith be stirred in them. Faith to trample the serpents of hell. Faith to release the kingdom of God. Faith to walk in dominion and walk in the promise and the provision, bringing your kingdom to the full power on this planet and bringing the second coming of our Lord and Savior. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Come on, give God a shout of praise.